Hey, happy Friday. In this week's episode, we'll talk about new data that shows that the majority of Americans want foldables as their next phones. We'll talk about the surprising performance of the Galaxy S23 series and also about what a downturn for the chip industry looks like. Welcome to the Friday Checkout. This podcast is 100% funded by Nebula subscribers like you, who also get the show a day early and with an optional video version as well. And fun fact, you can even get a lifetime membership to Nebula now, or the regular subscription is less than three bucks a month. To support the show and to get all the extras, go to nebula.tv slash chillout. Hey there, it is Good Friday and I'm Tristan Rayner, your co-host and researcher from the Friday Checkout, taping this from Berlin just about midday, and Martin from Checkout uh, and the Friday Checkout. Hello. Taking this not from Berlin. You're I'm in, in my childhood bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> you can see Legos behind me. That's the Statue of Liberty. That's Helm's Deep. Uh, maybe out of frame there is, uh, what's the tower called that Saruman is in? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget I, I, the name. I, I, anyway. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Isengard, obviously. Uh, yeah, so special, special place. How are you yeah, doing, no. Tristan? Nice one. Ah, look, I'm going well. Um, I only have one question for you before we start, which is, um, there are no hills in Berlin. That place is completely flat. So do your legs explode when you have to hike around uh, your childhood home and its crazy inclines? It's actually fine. So I live I live on the Buddha side, which is hilly. Um, but you just take a bus. It's fine. I don't, I don't, <laughs> okay. I don't, ride, I don't ride my bike up here. It would be pretty insane. They've solved uh, that problem, huh? Yeah, they have solved it. Could you motorized could you ride an transport? Would it, would an e-bike be fine, or is it still no? Too crazy? I mean, uh, biking mm. in Hungary is basically suicide, especially uh, on the on the hill here. Oh, Nobody God. expects you, and people oh, like there's no bike lanes, and people will uh, like okay. very aggressively uh, drive you over. So, just just take the public transit. Gotcha. Okay, and at least it's cheap, huh? Um, yeah. Yeah. All right, Martin. Let's get started, uh, and we're going to jump straight into some numbers that surprised me about foldables and you've got a bit more prepped on this but basically um counterpoint brought out something talking about like what do u.s consumers want and surveyed a bunch of these consumers uh and they focused a little bit on foldables um and essentially the number of people who are most likely or even somewhat likely to buy a foldable uh is pretty significant um and that i like way more significant than what i thought so um what, what sort of numbers do you want to talk here? Because Counterpoint brought out a whole bunch. Uh, we have a chart we'll put up on the, if you're watching this um, video as well. Um, yeah, yeah there's, a, so, there's a lot there. Yeah, so there's three charts and a bunch more numbers uh, that they wrote in the article, which are all really interesting in my opinion, because I'm a foldables nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so it's a survey, which means uh, we should take all of this with plenty of salt because people will say things in surveys that they then do not follow up with uh, in real life when they have to make an actual purchase decision. Yes, when the money but, comes, but it, that's the question, yes. <laughs> exactly, when reality hits and you see a crease in the phone and you're like, ah, in my head this crease wasn't there. <laughs> right, right. But anyway, um, so the the purchase intent is there, which is really interesting. It's for the US only, uh, these numbers. But uh, they are looking very, very good for foldables. So 28% says they're most likely to go for a foldable next. uh, 16% say that they're somewhat likely to go for a foldable next. Together, that is uh, quick head math, 44%, I think, uh, is somewhat likely to go for a foldable or very likely, which is more than the people who said that they're not likely to go for it at all, which is, uh, I want to say, 29%. So... uh, 
basically the survey results are that the majority of people are more inclined to go for foldables than less inclined, which is very surprising to me. I didn't think that it would be that high. And there's a few more interesting numbers. Uh, so from the two form factors that we have, the flip and the fold style, 49% are uh, preferring the flip versus 35% who prefer the book, uh, or the, the, the fold style. And what's most interesting, I don't know if you caught this, Tristan, from the article, the flip is more popular with male consumers and the fold is disproportionately more popular with female consumers. So this, uh, it's only by a few percentage points. Uh -huh, but this uh -huh. this uh, preconceived notion that we have, which I think was true in the beginning, which is that women generally yeah. wanted to go for the smaller flip and men generally wanted to go for the bigger fold, does not seem to be true in in reality. I've heard this from a bunch of brands already as well, that, uh, well, the last you thing have? I heard was okay. that, it's, that it's kind of more mixed, not that there's a female preference for big folds, and, uh, but, but but it's definitely at, at least mixed. Uh, so there's this uh, gender divide does not really clearly exist in, in uh, the form factors. Um, then more stuff, uh, set, Trista, guess who the most preferred foldable brand is <laughs> in the United okay. States? Take a if guess. Yes, if it's not Samsung, then I have to quit. Because otherwise I don't you would have to quit. It is Samsung. Okay. 46% would yep. say that they'd want the Samsung foldable. Is this? Uh, could any? Could these people name another foldable brand? That's the question. <laughs> well, but that's that's the wild thing. The only other uh, phone brand that has a foldable in the U.S. is Motorola, and they right. only have six percent. Which means, guess who has the rest of the 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 share? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I saw that this brand is Apple, and it makes no sense to me. <laughs> so thirty nine percent of respondents say that they want an Apple foldable, right, despite right. no Apple foldable existing. Okay. So they're just saying, I I only want to buy an Apple product, and it, the moment they release yeah. a foldable, that's what I'm buying. Okay, exactly, okay. exactly. If I were to buy one, I'd buy an Apple, but okay. Apple doesn't have one, so whatever. Until but this then, this goes yeah. to show. I I heard from so many people that they do not believe that Apple will make this because they do not believe that consumers want this. The answer is consumers definitely want this, and they want this from Apple as well. I do think that they're going to wait uh, until the technology is, you know, exactly how they want it to be. They don't release phones before that. But once the crease is ironed out, once the reliability is completely done, once you have proper waterproofing, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the consumer preference is clearly there and the product will be mature. So Apple, in my opinion, I would bet money on this, will make foldables and they'll do an absolutely... Uh, brutal job at taking market share <laughs> with their foldables yeah. okay. as with everything else. Okay, so so the question really is, if if you're Apple and you're taking this data, will you make a flip or will you make a, a fold-style book um, foldable? I think Apple will do whichever is they figure is the better user experience. It is. So they, they, whichever point. they can work easier. In my opinion, the question is always that, that if you make a flip-style foldable, you don't actually have to reinvent software UI. You just take a regular sized iPhone and then you flip it in half. Maybe you make it a bit taller, but like, you know, you don't have to reinvent any UI paradigms, which is very Apple in a sense that you're not going to have weird aspect ratios and like things don't scale properly and, and so on, which you do have on, on the book style foldables on yeah. all of them all the time. I, I, the only thing I disagree is that the, the, front cam, uh, the, like the front screen on your flip 
which is sort of evolving rapidly. Um, right. Uh, becoming bigger and bigger and becoming like the tiny little iPhone on the front of your on the front of your device. So I, I could also see Apple doing something interesting there potentially but essentially just like what if they just throw like an apple watch <laughs> sized screen out there and then you can do all the things that your apple watch can do kind of like, interesting uh, there there's some solution there but yeah gotcha so i would guess maybe a flip but i mean we'll see the other interesting numbers are that there's 4.7 million foldables in right. use in the u.s already in 2022 yep. which is quite a lot um and that uh foldables have been the main driver in uh, keeping people from switching to iOS. So on the high end, this is the main thing that is, people go to Android for versus iOS it? in the US. Uh, and uh, we also know that globally, this is no longer US data, everything until now was, but globally, 1.1% uh, of shipments in 2022 were foldables, but 7% of premium shipments, so phones of above $800 were foldables. So it's actually kind of, significant already yeah and we can see that it's only going to get bigger and bigger so foldables are definitely here to say and they are a big business okay one more question before we move on which is how strongly do you, does this i don't think this data changes what google will do it probably already knows this data but are we expecting a google foldable in may in a month at google io i think i think they'll probably tease it at least yeah yeah, there's, there's been too many leaks for it yeah. not to be a foldable already. Yeah, but Google's funny like that. Sometimes it's it's devices like hang in the air in the in the ether that they're close, but they never quite come out. Um, I would be really interested to see if they do it because it's such a big statement. If they do, I really think that's positive for the Pixel line of hardware. Um, yeah, it shows Google's not, you know, doing the old. Yeah, we're we're all in on this, and then sort of slowly fading out, which I don't think they're doing in Pixel necessarily. But um, a, fo a fold is just such a big statement, or a foldable. Yeah, and and basically, Google has from the beginning said that one of the main reasons that they made the the Pixel line was that they felt that Samsung was losing the high end Android share to Apple, and that they needed to do something to uh, uh, gain this back. Is it? Um, and I think if we see that the market uh, researchers say that basically foldables are the thing that are keeping people from switching, that it makes sense for Google to also make a foldable to gain back some market share for Android on the high end as well. There so it's, it's beneficial for Pixel, but it would also be really beneficial for Android to establish itself as a strong foldable uh, ecosystem with optimized apps and everything. And Google really needs to push that, in my opinion. Okay. Yep, that makes sense. Um, anything more there on foldables? Uh, I, I, I think we covered it. Yeah, we covered it. Okay, no worries. Um, let's we're gonna we're gonna start talking of some bad numbers as we sort of have been uh, across the checkout and and the podcast over the last little while. Um, and so uh, more data came out saying February twenty twenty three. So just uh, the month before March, as you well know. Um, the global the global smartphone market uh, for that month was uh, the lowest since May 2020, which was kind of peak pandemic times when we we're all locked in our house and no one wanted to spend any money and everyone was not having a good time. Um, so yeah, they declined month on month from January and less than 100 million shipments for the second consecutive month. Um, 
which Martin is bad. And uh, a corresponding report says that worldwide semiconductor revenues were down 20% year on year in February. Uh, extremely big numbers uh, of um, you know revenue falls. There's a really nice graph there which shows you the absolute... Um, you've talked about this, the bullwhip effect where um, the, the percentage year on year changes absolutely fluctuates like crazy. So you, you're just starting to make enough semiconductors, you think everything's good, and then the market drops out and you've got way too much inventory and you're you're writing off billions of, of, do- of dollars of inventory as Micron had to do um, over these last couple of months. Um, and you stop investing and then any second now the market will turn uh, if you look at this chart, you can kind of see that it could be bottoming pretty soon. Like yeah. if you were going to guess just based on this chart, you would start yeah. investing again. But that's not how it works. That's what that's what Micron was saying, right? That they're they're seeing, they're they're expecting a pickup of of uh, the market, especially around phones and computers and everything, soon. So maybe we're at the bottom of this. I and mean, the were- other thing that they were saying was that, uh, of course, they're now everyone has too many chips and too much capacity, but the governments are like, what if you got $100 billion and build 50 more fabs? Go. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. going to be distorting markets even more. It's going to take some time, though. By the time they come around, we might be in another sure. bust. <laughs> sure. Of course. Long term. Um, okay. So th- the thing about all this is it's not all doom and gloom because Samsung shared some news this week that unit sales for the Galaxy S23 were pretty good in some parts of the world. So uh, Samsung was pretty clever how it played this. It only talked to the Korean media. Um, so we got the the translated deals here. But um, unit sales for the S23 were 50% higher than the S22 in Europe, India, and the Middle East. Um, okay. Notably places where you would get a, a, a Galaxy with an Exynos chip versus yeah. a Qualcomm chip. Um, so people do like the Qualcomm update. Oh, we don't know what if if that's what caused it, but yeah, that's interesting. There's definitely some some people out there who are very attuned to this, but the broader market, you think, is just saying this is the time that I needed a new phone, or Samsung yeah. convinced me in some way. Um, but the, I guess the the missing point there. Oh, sorry. So there's two points. So before I get to the missing point, the 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 S23 Ultra was the most popular, and apparently accounted for sixty percent of global unit sales. Um, wow, which, which is Truly astonishing. So they they said the S23 Plus and the S23 accounted for about 20% each. So no real, you know, no like 30-10 split there or whatever. It's 60%, 20%, 20%. 20%. Amazing that the Ultras keep selling so well and quite... They they told us in the German event that the Ultra was doing particularly well. As That's that's what they communicated as well. And we saw in the last counterpoint data that uh, from the iPhones, the Ultras or the... Pro Max or whatever they're called, the really high-end versions are the best-performing ones as well. Right. So we're really moving towards just make it as premium as possible and people will buy it. That's kind of wild. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss here. I don't know where to go with this because is it the fact that you have a Plus and an S23 and you have the Ultra and you know, you're able to adjust the pricing and specs and ratio and everything just enough to make people convinced that they need the Ultra... So do you need three devices in a lineup to make people convinced that the Ultra is the best one? Um, Shit. I, I, I can't. I, we've, we've talked before about how Apple was probably looking at this and saying, we might actually release an iPhone Ultra because why not? You know, if you're yeah, releasing Just go even higher. Yeah, just add everything. Add a, add a heap of margin 
and people will still say I'm going to buy the top one because that's the best yeah. one. Yeah. Um, so yeah. where, where this falls apart a tiny bit from Samsung is that it has not provided figures for the North American markets, including the US. <laughs> and, and Korea, right? Um, yeah. The, the only stuff you have from Korea is sort of pre-sale um, or pre-order details and whatever, which also seemed okay, but yeah, nothing about Korea exactly. So the two most important markets, I would imagine, for their flagship sales would be Korea and the US. And those yeah. are, there's a missing... Yeah. Okay, Mi- mixed results then. <laughs> yeah, no, my, I think my focus is is more on just like Samsung has the data in North America. It's just not saying it. Like this is not yeah. a, this is not a game. It's just the fact that they're, they're saying, well, it's not great, or we can't say that the there's like a fifty percent higher number. So we're just going to focus yeah. on that. I can't imagine it went worse than the S twenty two, but how would I know? Yeah, well, in in the US, Samsung it has the problem that they actually have reasonably strong competition lately from uh, Google in the Pixel lineup that is doing. I mean, it's still small potatoes, but it is eating some market share away from uh, Samsung at the high end. And also Motorola is doing a little bit better. And of course, the, the juggernaut is Apple eating up everything. So I think in the US, they have a tougher position than in Europe, where uh, basically on the Android side, their only competition is Xiaomi, um, which is starting to falter a little bit. Is it? Uh, so. Okay, so Martin, that leads me to a game we'll play now, just based on what you were saying there. Exactly. Uh, you have to choose a smartphone company that will increase its market share in 2023 as compared to 2022. So not talking about necessarily like raw figures of smartphones shipped, but percentage-wise, are they able to increase their market share? So we already have data there on Samsung. Uh, could we see Xiaomi return a little bit? Will Oppo turn things around? There was some good news about its share in Latin America. Is just betting on Apple the easiest way forward? This is a game. Choose your company. Tell me why. Yeah, so I think the easy answer is Apple. I think Apple has been like on a, a relentless path to victory since since they've launched the first <laughs> iPhone. Like it just never ceases. So I think it's that's a safe bet. But to make a more interesting bet. I would probably say that the Chinese market has to recover a little bit, at least. Like they're in such a deep hole right now that it could only be better next year. So any brand that is very uh, strongly exposed to the Chinese market, which is all the Chinese brands, uh, Xiaomi, Oppo, Huawei, etc., they, I presume, will all do comparably better than they did in the past. Um, That that would be my guess. Okay. Um, Would you bet on Google? And uh, I don't know. I, I think they have a, a fairly good year compared to themselves. So I think uh, it might be difficult for them to beat this next year. Is it? Uh, but maybe. I mean, if they have a foldable and it's good, then maybe. Yeah, that is a, there is, a, it's just like, yes, if they release a foldable and if the 7A that we're all expecting is good, you know. It was a good yeah, thing. yeah. I guess you can sort of counter That's it to a, that. Yeah. Ah. For them, yeah. it's like a very um, product specific dependence for xiaomi it's like it almost doesn't matter what phones they release as long as they're the next generation of whatever they have it mostly i think uh decided by market factors (laughs) i think they're like whether the redmi note 12 specifically has this processor or not uh relatively (laughs) small influence but for google it's like they release a killer phone and like okay you double sales or you cut them by half so yeah right right i know i hear that um i do you want my bet i don't know yeah go ahead go ahead well, I think I'm going to bet on Motorola, actually, just 
the yeah. the leaks about the new razor look really good like that yeah. foldable news that they've got going there seems to be very solid it seems like they're picking the right boxes um the edge 40 pro that we mentioned in the checkout that came out this week sort of seems like it has all the right stuff um the updates policy is better which gets that um i don't know it's sort of to me i, I like i don't really care if it's three years or four years i'm not going to be buying a phone based on that but it, what it tells me is they're taking it more seriously yeah no more finally they're committing to something half a reasonable yeah yeah i know updates are very important for a lot of people and i i care about some you know some extension but basically if you're only offering two years i don't take you as a credible company anymore that's kind yeah. of where it yeah. stands um three plus yeah. four is fine it's not great but it's fine like it should more or less cover yeah i know i think that's right so the only question really that, that sort of seems to matter is that the they didn't announce the edge 40 pro for the u.s yet uh and that's probably very important for my bet <laughs> so we'll see we'll see how it goes but certainly motorola it keeps keep being like yeah motorola i think motorola okay. is doing really well compared yeah. to themselves in the past but that's why i wouldn't bet on them doing better because they already have done better this year so same as with the pixel like you have to grow from a a relatively good place for themselves, whereas for Xiaomi, they'd have to just recover from a bad one. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Um, all right. Let's talk mailbag. Um, so yeah. thanks to everyone who sent in mailbag questions. Martin, we really need to set up an email address for this or something so that people Probably. can drop in. Uh, let's do that another time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not on this podcast because... I don't even know what we do. Something at gmail.com, maybe? We'll see. We'll see. I wanted right. to buy some domains anyway, so maybe we'll set something Ooh, up. A little Easter domain shopping. Mm, maybe. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, thanks to the people who've sent in your questions. I've edited them a little bit, uh, but we have kind of three big questions here. And uh, first one is on cars, your favorite. Uh, when do you think self-driving will become properly available to consumers? Um I'll I'll help you a little bit by pointing out that proper properly is the key word here. Um, that was a lot of lot of work. That word. <laughs> yeah. So how what what does that mean? What percentage of a trip or what what kind of trip do you want to take where you're like, yeah, this is this is self driving. Yeah, I I actually I have no no knowledge of this, but like based on the the things that I've read in various publications, um, I guess properly in the sense that it will help you take your hands off the wheels in the next few years. I think that might start being possible, but you'll still have to pay attention to the road. Um, But more and more of that uh, as we go forward. And I think like full self-driving, which is unlike the thing that Tesla calls full self-driving, but the actual full self-driving, I think it's still probably at least a decade away, would be my guess. Yeah. The, The full and properly, like when I was thinking about this, it's like, what percentage of a trip, you know, like if you're driving 99%, if self-driving is taking 99% of a trip, that's one kilometer or one mile per hundred miles. Yeah. That's, that seems like it's possible if you're doing a lot of highway trips and you're doing sort of set city routes where there's enough mapping and everything going on. And, you know, like we've seen Waymo able to do that in San Francisco. I don't know what, I don't know if they're driving 99% of the time without a problem, but, um, that's getting closer. Yeah, that, that's one of the questions is like, what, where? Like, you can do it probably in the US where 
people only ever drive, so everything is relatively, you have a wide right. roads and like relatively predictable uh, traffic situation for a car. Try driving, self-driving in like Vietnam where <laughs> scooters around every corner and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nobody yeah. really follows the traffic rules. Or <laughs> yeah, it's very contextual, isn't it? You know, in your... Yeah. In your big city with a lot of in- infrastructure, things might be great. And then in your chaos right. city where uh, the roads go into your house half the time and whatever, that's going to be a bit trickier. But yeah. I, I, I do think it's where the decimal point gets to. It's like, okay, 99%, sure, 99.9%. That's one kilometer per thousand, one mile per thousand. Like that's yeah. feasible that you have to take over still a little bit. But um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, moving on. Next question. Uh, which future AI potential are you both of us most excited about for your own work. So like what part of your job would you like to have AI complement or just take from you out of your little hand so you can have a little bit more sleep, Martin? Which one of those? Uh, we, oh, not those because there aren't options, but you have, what about, what's AI going to take over from your own work that would be useful for you? I think like any manual labor, like <laughs> we, we do have to do quite a lot of that in, in terms of uh, content production. Um, and it goes into all all versions of this, like image generation, um, like text uh, compiling, uh, and also I mean, at some point, if it can edit the video or at least like partially edit the video, that'd yeah. be amazing. I think it's still all going to need human, at least human supervision for a very long time. The, the yeah. way I actually expect this to go is that we might start getting just more efficient at doing any of the three tasks that we do, which is creating text, uh, editing videos, and creating images. Uh, you're going to have AI help you with all of those, uh, which will ideally mean that we can just do more or better content, but I don't see Perfect. it just like replacing Tristan or replacing Adam or replacing myself or our graphic designer. Like it's, yeah. It seems a bit, bit far-fetched. Yeah, my answer is kind of, I don't know, I, I cop out in that like, I think if an AI can help me with scheduling and finding times that fit and keeping my days flowing and everything's sort of like semi-automated, I mean, I'm saying automated, like I just look at my calendar and like there's two meetings from people that I really wanted to speak to and that good times, that's great. Um, And the other one would be like invoicing and handling all elements of money and taxation and billing. Oh my God, now that you say, please, yes, (laughs) anything (laughs) that has to do with admin work. Yeah, it would be so nice to just have an, an email at the end of the month and be like, "These are these are all the bills I paid for you. This is all the money you had come in. Um, yeah. You need to consider working harder. <laughs> Whatever, whatever's required. Please make um, more money. <laughs> yeah. As an AI, I need to tell you, you're in trouble. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but that kind of thing would be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what a tax advisor or whatever is supposed to be good for. And then in the end, I have to spend days babysitting mine anyway, and it's a human. So I guess like, until the AI gets it, it's going to take a while. Yeah, yeah. This is this is very non-Germany. Maybe in Estonia where everything's digital and you're yeah, you're, maybe. you're living a, a digital life a lot more successfully than you are in a paper-rich yeah. Germany. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll see. Okay, final mailbag question, and a pretty good one. I've edited edit this question a bit, but basically... Uh, the the idea is that um, a lot of companies in both hardware and software release a product and then they update that product. So within a few months of launch, often it's quite a different proposition. So Martin, we see this in smartphones with cameras and the like, of, and of course, this, just the basic software. We see it in gaming 
where sometimes games are a disaster at launch and then get fixed. Um, and the point that was being actually made here by uh, this person was saying that we even see it in CPUs and GPUs with uh, hardware hardware released and then drivers and updates and fixes improve things and you get a little bit more performance, you get a little bit more stability. You blah, 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 blah. So our question asker mentioned AMD as being like uh, kind of problematic in a way where they do release CPUs that do require driver updates and then that makes things a lot better. Uh, but no one really sees AMD as the bad guy. It's more like the plucky underdog where it's like, yeah, it's fine. It's AMD. We, you know, we, we expect this. We're, we're good, even though it should have probably had a launch with a better, with better software from the outset. So the, that's a lot, that's a lot of stuff I've said, but the question is, why are we in this situation and should we expect this? And why does the likes of AMD sometimes get a good, like, getting past whereas someone like intel just wouldn't i think it's partially like setting expectations uh, at launch of course if you're a bigger company and you've hyped up your big release uh just think of like cyberpunk 2077 you you've essentially told the world that this thing that you're going to be releasing is going to be absolutely amazing and then it comes out and it isn't <laughs> there's a, a a difference between the expectation and what has been delivered um on the other hand um why do they do this Obviously, because they have to release the product early to uh, catch market share and to start making revenue with it. If you were to wait two, three months or five months or whatever to uh, finish it, uh, you would lose the revenue that you would be making in that time and, and your competitors might be coming out with other more competitive solutions by then. So you eventually, you essentially make your products look better than they are by releasing them earlier. There, You can just have... Sl uh, you're just like a couple of months ahead of uh, a competitor who might wait and polish stuff. So um, I think it's quite valuable for companies. It's a really fine balance. And um, you have to play a game of managing expectations. And if you do it well, then I think consumers will be okay with it. Uh, if you do it poorly, then consumers will feel that they've been cheated or that you've underperformed. Gotcha. Um yeah, the, the gaming case that everyone knows is No Man's Sky, and that is an underdog story. But what you were saying then makes complete sense in that, like, No Man's Sky was hyped up to be something, man. It was meant to be yeah. incredible. And then when it was released, it simply wasn't. And so, okay, it's fixed now. And apparently it is really good. And, like, I yeah. genuinely want to play it. But um, That's a redemption the, story as well, right? They, they eventually right. even got the people who played and uh, the media and everyone to come around to it and say, well, actually, now it's pretty good. Yep. Totally, but they did shoot themselves in the foot by yeah. promising the world and giving us <laughs> a couple of meters of backyard. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I mean, this, this is is inherently no problem with your device getting better. You know, with your, with your Pixel device, with your iPhone, with whatever, getting an update and getting better. But the, I, I, it's really like how broken it is at the start that seems to, um, yeah, be problematic. <laughs> That's a question, though, because, you know, if No Man's Sky and Cyberpunk were not hyped up into the high heavens to begin with, then maybe they wouldn't have been, like, big splashes at launch in the first place. They wouldn't have received, like, millions and millions of sales at the beginning that wouldn't have given them the money to then invest into making the games better. Very so, true. So you get a lot of negative hype, but you also got a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then you can um, use that money to make the product better. And then you could be like, I wish well was sorry, but now it's better. Can you like us again? And then the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. 
it, look, it's not a situation I would like to be in with my with my little company uh, launching something, but you can see how it does work, even if it's questionable. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh. it's a game of business. Yeah, and I guess the, the other side of this uh, is Stardew Valley, where one guy literally worked on it for seven years and was never satisfied with what state it was in, but then published it. But he had to basically like eat nothing and drive around, and like his wife had to drive him. The story is pretty good, and it's told in um, uh, in a book I've been reading, uh, where yeah, he made a lot of sacrifices, and everyone in his life told him, "Just please release this game. It's, it's definitely good enough." And he was like, yeah, "No, just- it must be perfection." Um, and that worked out okay as well. It's just that it took three, three or four extra years of like eating bread and water yeah, but- and. I think what you can do as an individual and you can take these sacrifices as a company there's no way you can do this like you're like you can't yeah. convince 100 developers that they should like live in a van for for 3 years and like maybe there'll be some payoff at the end it's a work off site and we're not going back on site ever yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah oh uh, dear all right man we end the podcast with our trivia fact corner um I've stopped the guessing because the guessing wasn't fun. I was um, not able to guess anything. <laughs> Believe it or not. Uh, but yeah, I st- I'll throw a number at you and we'll see where the conversation goes. And this right. week, Martin, um, TechCrunch's crunch-based data revealed that global VC funding fell more than 50% from $162 billion, uh in the previous quarter to $76 billion in Q1 2023, which means... Uh, wait, wait. The, the number gets more wild because... Uh, 16.5 billion of that went to OpenAI, which you know, wow, okay, needs really needs the money. And Stripe, which was get taking VC money not because they're not profitable, but because they wanted to help their employees get out of there, like actually exercise their options. Blah blah blah. blah. Like give some give employees some liquidity. So, um, taking that away, a lot of money disappeared off the table f- uh, in VC funding. Um, yeah, it's we we've already spoken about in this podcast the cyclical nature of everything. Um. It's got to be horribly disappointing that VCs just walked away despite, you know, like startups aren't not starting up because of the sort of global macro, uh, macroeconomic condition. So yeah, why, why are VCs walking away? Why are they such cowards? Or is that not quite really what's going on? Well, it might be one thing that uh, their their investors are walking away. So typically VCs collect funds from wealthy individuals or family funds or whoever else gives them money. And it might be that they're just like not able to raise a new round themselves uh, to then invest into uh, startups, um, or or they're just careful uh, because the market conditions have uh, not been as good as they were expected them to be, uh, or and this is the other uh, potential is that uh, because everyone like it's a down downward cycle. Maybe a lot yep. of uh, companies are still being funded, but but uh, valuations have gone down, so you have ah, to invest yes. less. Yes. So you're still giving companies uh, money, but you're giving them less money. And actually, this is probably a, a natural correction in, to some degree because the valuations have been like insane for the last two, three, four, five years. Uh, and so actually, a little bit of a cooling down is maybe beneficial. But we have seen a lot of companies uh, uh, gone out of business because they were not able to raise uh, VC funds lately. Uh, I think Avocargo, which is a Berlin-based cargo bike rental company, just two days ago sent me an email that yep. they're out of business because they couldn't raise any money uh-huh. and a bunch of other uh, companies are doing the same as well so it's gonna be some some consolidation 
I think it's normal. There's been too much money in VC for a long time, uh, chasing too few good businesses. It is. Um, so let the lean times begin and then something else will rise out of it. Yeah, I wanted to make that point about valuations as well. So like, you know, you might still be doing uh, a high percentage of deals, but the, the, if everything's worth half as much or you don't have to, you know, stretch your valuation to, to, to be able to invest. But to be honest, the VCs love high valuations as well because uh, they want to see growth in from series A to series B to series C, et cetera. So it's not necessarily VCs that are wanting valuations to drop um, coincidentally. Well, they, they want low valuations at the beginning and then high ones sure. at the end. Yeah. So but, you want your C and A to be low and then your B and C and D to be high. Yeah, so forty billion approximately uh, went to late stage startups. So that's that sort of uh, valuation ramp. Yeah. Um, the yeah, in terms of like stuff that I'm, I've been paying attention to, two car startups that were focused on um, solar rooftops as one of their big selling points, both right. failed in the last couple of months. So one of them was a German one, right? Yeah, so there's Lightyear, which is the Dutch one that that right. went bankrupt, and then there was Sono Motors, which was um, bringing out a much cheaper solar car and it was much more of like a crowdfunding thing and like we're all in this together um yeah. i actually spoke to them maybe four days before they announced that they ran it like they just couldn't raise enough oh, money no. uh, and they kind of lied to me a little tiny bit i mean they had to put on a brave face i would say but they knew yeah. that there was they knew yeah. it wasn't going to happen when they were speaking to me so i was a little bit annoyed at them yeah. um but yeah just the just funding dried up for especially for these incredibly capital intensive businesses that need yeah um that are trying to make a car, which we've seen fail. Yeah. It's like, this is going to need 10 more years of capital. And the VC says, meh, can't be yeah. bothered to wait that long. Yeah, that's no, so true. Um, Martin, that's just about it. But um, one of the interesting things this week, was it, okay, you, I, I, I don't know much about this, so you have to fill me in completely. But was it this week that Nebula launched a lifetime offer for 250 bucks? So, um, I'm not even explaining this very well. You feel free to edit this part of the podcast. But basically, uh, a whole bunch of you Nebula creators said, hey, like you can subscribe to Nebula now, $250 for a lifetime. And it kind of came out of nowhere a little bit because uh, Nebula has done deals, but this is a much bigger thing. And I, I saw a bunch of comments on your YouTube post, uh, like in the community post saying like, wow, that's a lot of money. Like, why aren't you taking VC money? Why are you doing this? And can we trust that Nebula is going to be around? So tough questions for you. Yeah, so uh, exactly. So 250 bucks uh, and it's a lifetime subscription. Of course, that means a lifetime of the service, not your lifetime, uh, <laughs> uh, which is hopefully many, many years and many, many decades. Um, but uh, we, the thinking is basically that we went from a model where CuriosityStream and Nebula was working together Yes, Curiosity Stream actually funded our marketing budget. So every time we said, "Hey, here's this uh, uh, bundle that you can subscribe to, which gives you Curiosity Stream and Nebula," Curiosity Stream paid for that, and we had a a, a deal with them on the back end. Uh, and uh, we decided to go forward with just doing Curiosity Stream, uh, just doing Nebula on its own which means that we now, as in Nebula, has to pay for all the marketing up front, uh, is which is working because we are cash flow positive and the, the, the deal is uh, it's, it's all uh, working well. But what this means is that the majority, well, a large part of the money that comes in 
uh, from subscription revenues uh, actually has to be paid out right away for uh, marketing. That's uh-huh. fine because uh, you're basically spending a bunch of money up front to get up front, uh, right? Yeah, okay. To get subscription revenues later, um, but what this creates is that the majority of the money is not available for uh, you know improving the platform or funding new original content and so on. Uh, again, long term, this would fix itself because you just uh, as you uh, grow the subscription base, you just have more and more money to uh, to spend on everything else. Of course, we still have we have I think by now like I don't know many, many developers, like dozens, if not a hundred, whatever. Um, oh. so, so there's actually actually a big team by now. Um, but uh, still, in order to fund a lot more content and to fund a lot more development and progress and everything faster, rather than having to wait multiple years until we uh, go into rocket ship mode, um, you there's the idea to bring some of the revenue forward. Um, so uh, this is a the, the, that's basically what this lifetime uh, offer is trying to create. So uh, other companies, uh, startups, would they all have the same problem, right? You all have the yep. problem that you're trying to grow and you invest all your money into growth. Um, and even if like on the unit economics, so like one consumer, how much it costs you to convince them to sign up and then how much they spend on that service, uh, even if that is positive, if you grow fast enough, you actually... in a either in cash flow neutral or cash flow negative because you spend all your money on growth. So the idea is that uh, other startups typically fix this by raising capital from venture, cap- venture capitalists, yep. uh, but we don't want to because we don't want to uh, have a VC sitting there yes. over our shoulders and telling us what yeah. to do and then deciding that like whatever, we need to put ads on the platform now or we need to do whatever, whatever. So instead of doing that, we thought we'd run an experiment where we do a lifetime subscription um, and it's been actually going pretty well. Yeah, um, I was going to ask. Can you? Do you know how it's going? I know, but I think it's under NDA, so I I haven't explicitly been told that I can say the numbers. But I, well, no, it's, yeah, but it's going but well. It's, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. Okay. And for, it's, and for yeah. people who are wondering, by the way, if this is like some uh, um, terrible deal for us, uh, it's fine. Like uh, I think per consumer. Obviously, you set the price so that you like more or less expect the average lifetime value of the consumer to be around as much as this uh, um, uh, two hundred fifty bucks price. So it's it's actually fine because you get more or less the same amount of money that you would expect them to pay if they stayed subscribed for a long time. Um, you just get it earlier, which is nice for you. And uh, if the consumer uh, expects to stay for longer, then uh, it's nice for them as well. So I think it's yeah yeah no it's pretty I, good I pretty think, good deal. I think people's percentages that they're saying maybe like thirty percent. I care about how this affects you, but seventy percent is how how does it affect me? Am I going to be able to count on this sticking around for? So what is it like two hundred fifty bucks? Is kind of like so Nebula four or right five now. Years? Yeah, Nebula right now costs officially fifty dollars a year. Um, yeah. The Curiosity Stream bundle is gone, so uh, you can't uh, renew that in the future. If you have it, it will run out whenever I it see, runs I out. See. Then you yep. have to uh, switch to Nebula if you want to keep watching and listening. Um, and uh, yeah, so fifty dollars, or if you use a creator code, which obviously you should, uh, then it <laughs> is thirty dollars because it's obviously cheaper for you. And then the creator specifically gets a cut uh, cut from your subscription, the yep. one whose code you used. Okay. Um, nebula.tv slash chill out in case you want to use ours um but basically you uh 
if it's $30 a year, then it's like, what, like seven years, eight years? I don't know, something like that. Well, we'll I mean, we've been around for three. The service is growing. It's healthy. We have more and more creators. Uh, it's profitable. So I don't, I mean, you, you never know what happens in the future, but I do think that this is a genuine and like honest attempt at building a better company and uh, creating more content and, and everything. So uh, I think it's good. Yeah, yeah. So there's a little, there's a tiny bit of there like being like, okay, I'm, like it's, it's a deal, especially I, I'm sure Nebula subscriptions in a year or two years will be more expensive than they are now. So you know, like the maybe I don't know, the yeah, no, that's fair. But um, there is a little bit of like actually, I just happen to like this creator and want to support them in the service, and you know, takes take something to where it's like a uh, a creator a created experience, creator created yeah. experience, and mm-hmm. actually support that a bit more. Yeah, yeah, so. that's the idea. Yeah, cool. Um, all right. Well, that is just about it, Martin. Um, yeah. Happy to Easter to anyone who does the Easter thing. Um, happy Easter. We've got a checkout coming very shortly. Um, and are you up to anything else this weekend? It will it be, I, I'm focused very much on finding a fire. I really like a fire over Easter. It's the right time. It's the right temperature. It's like, it's just a, it's just a nice warm experience. I really just want to like add a log to a fire and just enjoy that. That's kind of what I'm like. That's what I'm into. After winter is over, you're a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, but it's too, it's too cold to stay outside with a fire. Even though you've got yeah, a fire, fair enough. you know, it's like just that time of year. <laughs> fair enough. I'm just hanging with family and doing video stuff. So nothing special. Okay. Very good. All right. Um, Martin, that's it for the Friday chill out. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Thanks for your support via Nebula if you're watching or listening via Nebula. Otherwise, if you're listening via um, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever, leave us a good rating. Um, I'm Tristan. I'm on Twitter and whatnot. Um, you're, Martin, where are you? Where are you best found? I'm mostly at Mastodon these days, if anywhere. Plus, uh, just Twitter as well, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be there less and less. Gotcha. Uh, and Discord as well, where Discord, uh, we exactly. get most of our mail, mailbag questions. So f- yeah. feel free to join us there. But uh, otherwise, that's it. Thanks, everyone. And we'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Bye.